This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. You don't have a handout tonight for Isaiah, but I'd like you to turn, please, to Isaiah 5. If you have something that you can take notes on, I think that that will benefit you. been looking... Uh, at various themes and topics in this great book of prophecy. Tonight we're going to look at another theme, and and we'll just move through the book and, and hit highlights. I hope that you'll take time, even based on things that we've preached, uh, things that I've pointed out, go back and read the book uh, once again for yourself. Tonight we're in chapter 5, and chapter 5 ends the first section of Isaiah. Chapter 5 has been called the Song of Jehovah's Vineyard. The Song of Jehovah's Vineyard. In the song, the owner of a piece of property, who's the Lord, takes every effort uh, to plant a vineyard, protect it, produce grapes for his enjoyment, but just the opposite happens of all that he worked for, all that he intended. Isaiah 5, notice verse 1. Now will I sing of my well-beloved, a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vines, built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a winepress therein, And he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes... And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. What a testimony. Go back earlier, and notice at the end of verse 1, My beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. If you're taking notes or in your Bible, you may just want to make a marginal reference to a land flowing with milk and honey. God placed Israel in a choice, prime piece of real estate. It was beautiful. And in fact, we're talking about a vineyard here. Do you remember that when Joshua and the other spies went in, One of the things that they brought back out to Moses and to the people after spying out the land was a clump of grapes. We know it from Scripture as grapes of escrow. Do you remember what was so unique about that clump of grapes? Somebody help me tonight. Karen? It took two men to carry the grapes. All right. It took two men with a staff on their shoulders to carry that one clump of grapes back to the people. That's where where God put Israel, this fruitful hill, all right? But 
after he did all those things for Israel and hoped to receive the enjoyment of grapes, he got wild grapes. One of the characteristics of wild grapes is they're bitter. And that's what was in the Lord's mouth. That's what he tasted after all that he had done and as Israel turned her back on him. Now, there shouldn't be any question about who he is talking about. Notice verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment. And behold, oppression for righteousness. But behold, a cry. Now let me remind us that chapter 5, like the other chapters that you can read, and again, the first half of the book of Isaiah is all about judgment. It's not an exact parallel for Christians today, since the prophet at this point is writing primarily to unbelievers. And at this point, Israel is in apostasy. And then, and uh, many have turned their hearts from the Lord, and even those who claim to know him, they draw nigh with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. So unbelievers, and he's writing to a nation of chosen people who had experienced blessing from God, but had turned their back on all of that. And I, I can't help but think, as we talk about this tonight, as we look at the book of Isaiah, there's only one other nation ever in the, well, I would say there are two. Two nations, and we as Americans came from that other nation, that had unparalleled blessing from God. And if you look at Great Britain today, if you look at America, we've turned our back on the Lord, haven't we? Especially here in America, you talk about being planted in a fruitful hill. In fact, even our patriotic songs talk about that. Amber waves of grain. So chapter 5 is really a song with two parts. First of all, the description of the vineyard. And then secondly, a declaration of judgment against the vineyard. And a word of woe. Okay, Isaiah is going to use that word. It's used six times, beginning in verse 8. When you put these divine woes at the end of a song about a vineyard that won't produce, the title of the message that I'm going to give you tonight will make sense. God's judgment on his worthless vine. God's judgment on his worthless vine. Now in the first part of the song, which describes the vineyard, the Lord explains what he did for his vineyard, verses 1 and 2. Very thorough. Everything that a vineyard needs to produce good fruit Good grapes. God did it. We sang about the Lord's mercy tonight. Think about his faithfulness. God expects from us, but he has fully equipped us, and he's done so much for us in blessing that he has a right to expect what he asked for. He doesn't expect something and then not give you the wherewithal to do it. But then he asked the reader, reading through this chapter, to weigh in about the vineyard. That's verses 3 and 4. What could have been done more? And then finally, he cast sentence upon his vineyard, Judah, because of the summary of offenses in verse 7. And we read those. He looked for judgment. There was oppression. Okay, And then righteousness, but behold, a cry. 
So let's take a deeper look now. Chapter 5 is not a restatement of what you see in chapters 2 and f- two to 4. You can go back and read that for yourself. What we have here was not has not been stated before. The beginning of this chapter focuses on the unique way God responded to this people, the, the children of Abraham, these Israelites. And our first point tonight, what we see from the text, is that God showed Israel unparalleled favor. When you look at what God did for them compared to all the other nations, it's unparalleled. This is the whole point of these opening verses. Back in Exodus 19, 4-5, three months after God had delivered Israel from Egypt, God called Moses to a private meeting and told him, To say to Israel, again, Exodus 19, 4 and 5, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. When Israel is about to enter the promised land 40 years later, again, the Lord will make similar statements, Deuteronomy 4 and verse 7. What nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? God showed Israel unparalleled favor. Now, the application that we can draw from this, and this is a a theme verse that you have memorized that should go through your mind as we go through this study and we consider Israel. To whom much is given, much will be required. But that doesn't just apply to Israel. That applies to God's people. To whom much is given, much will be required. One of the reasons that, that many of us are even more concerned about the upcoming election is because we know what we deserve. We're praying that God won't give it to us. Can we just be honest about that? We deserve judgment. (laughs) But we're praying for God to give us more mercy as as we seek to serve him here. We've experienced unparalleled favor, just as Israel did. Now, no nation had received this kind of favor, provision, deliverance. However, second point, God's favor had been bestowed in vain. When God asked the question in verse 4, what more could I have done for my vineyard? The question is not answered. Why is it not answered? Well, because there is no answer. There's no more that God could have done. Israel, like a vineyard, had received from God everything it could ever need. The same question cannot be answered for the United States, for Christians who have been uh, given so much in this land. We get to attend solid Bible-believing churches if we choose to. Uh, young people who have been raised in good homes, who have been able to go to excellent Christian schools and Bible colleges. 
And we have to look at the church in America and say, what more could God have done? And, and let me just share my heart with the young adults in our church. Hopefully, we have a number who are watching by live stream tonight. By the way, Christian, good to have you back tonight. But the youth out of our churches tend to look back at their upbringing and they want to nitpick at all the things that they didn't like or that weren't right. But I got news for you. There was a whole lot more that was right and great blessing than that was wrong. And it doesn't change the fact of what we're looking at out of Isaiah tonight. To whom much is given, much will be required. And I fear that even the generations that have been raised in our churches, one of the characteristics that is similar of them and the world is this. Unthankful and unholy. The only answer as to why God's favor is often bestowed in vain is the illogical nature of sin. Sin rejects all that God has to offer and offers what it can never deliver, that sin. But the recipients of God's favor and grace keep trying to see if sin will work for them. All Israel had to do is look back to their history. The times of the judges, the times of the kings. And what did it reveal? Sin never works. But to nations that will fear God and follow him, there is blessing. In the United States of America, in, in the history of civilization along with Israel, is another tremendous exhibit of that. Yet sin is a reproach to every people, and we're seeing that played out even daily here in our country. No wonder sin is so offensive to God when people forsake his goodness and try to turn back to the poison that Satan offers up, thinking that somehow that's going to work, somehow that's going to bring satisfaction. And so notice verses 5 and 6, what God will do when people produce worthless fruit in spite of all that he has done for them. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do with my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof. What's the hedge? It's the protection. Do we need God's protection? Yeah. Yeah, we do. And when he removes the hedge, trouble. By the way, where does that idea come from again or earlier in Scripture? If you look at the whole idea of, of putting a hedge around someone, it starts in the book of Job. And we know what's ha what happens there to Job when God removes that hedge of protection. Now, praise God, he's still in control. But we see what happens there. God says here, with my vineyard, I'm going to remove the hedge. It shall be eaten up, breaking down the wall thereof. It shall be trodden down, and I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no more upon it. 
Again, you can go back and see chapters 2 and 3 that God promises to depart from Israel. But here he says he'll destroy her. Remember that he promised to degrade them. Okay, you can go back and see that in these earlier chapters as well. He's going to degrade them, humiliate them, including their sensual, arrogant women, the immorality that was rampant in Israel at this time. God showed Israel unparalleled favor, but this favor was bestowed in vain. And then we close tonight by looking at the last part of what the Lord teaches here. Point three, God will destroy those who reject his favor. And this is probably the most sobering part. Nothing that God does is ever final, and we know that at the end of Isaiah, again, he's going to take these these people that he has judged, destroyed, chastened, and in the end, Israel's going to come back. That's God's provision, protection, preservation, and he's going to make them a nation of witnessing sons and daughters. But those who have received his good and have rejected that Here's what you can expect. Destruction. What does scripture remind us? He that being often reproved and hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. He that being often reproved, what is that? Well, that's just a mean parent constantly nagging. No, it's not. That's a loving parent constantly warning. And when the warnings are not observed, destruction is going to follow in the way. Now, how will God destroy Israel or any nation that has experienced his grace and then rejected it? It's a fearful thing when God doesn't turn away but determines to destroy. Now, we may question why God doesn't work in the life of someone who is so wayward. And this is, we, we know the tactics of the enemy, Satan, uh, how he makes sin so attractive and, and so pleasant, and there is pleasure in that sin for a season. And then like a lion, he waits till you've taken the bait, and then he pounces. All right, but... Here's what's so wonderful about our God. While Satan is doing his destructive work, God is also at work, and he can use the very very tactics of Satan to get hold of hearts and to bring people back. And one of the ways that he does that is when someone goes ahead and sins and they continue to pursue those things, God is going to deal with them. He's going to judge them. But he will use the sin to do its own work. We want God to turn people around and to restore them, and rightfully so. But God may be answering your prayer by letting the sin do its work. We've all heard the expression that, you know, sometimes God allows sin to take somebody down to the point where they're on their back and they'll finally look up. God can do that. Sometimes he chooses to be more active in stopping them. However, make no mistake about it. When God's grace over time is rejected, 
destruction will follow. Proverbs 29.1. Again, he that often, being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. If you are uh, someone who is not saved, and perhaps have heard the gospel repeatedly, and you continue to say no, there's coming a time when God will no longer prod. His spirit will not always chide with man. And destruction is sure. And so if there's someone listening to my voice here in the auditorium or, or, or on the live stream tonight. You, you live in a country where you, the, the gospel is readily available. And maybe you have loved ones. Maybe you have co-workers. You have people who care about you who have shared the gospel. You keep saying no. You keep saying no. You keep rejecting. Well, again... In a very real sense, you harden your, your neck to that truth, and, and here's the reality. You're going to face destruction. In fact, the scripture says it's going to be eternal destruction. If you have continued in sin after repeated urgings by the Spirit, Christian, the Holy Spirit telling you to stop, God will eventually destroy you. Who the Lord loves, he rebukes, he, and he chastens. But then other parts of Scripture tell us what happens beyond the chastening. And let's just take a look at that. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3, notice verse 17. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. And oh, by the way, he has every right to do it because it's his temple. But when in love he gives us so much blessing. And for the Christian, his grace and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. We continue to pursue sin and he convicts. And, and many times the Lord will... will throw things in our pathway to, to stop us. And yet I've seen Christians who just increase their efforts. They'll climb over the barriers and they'll just keep right on going. Well, when that happens, destruction will follow. Many times this kind of person is bewildered as to why God would respond so strongly after repeated attempts to turn them back. They often don't think that they didn't do anything as bad as deserves the treatment. Well, here's what you have to remember. First of all, sin offends God. But secondly, think about all that God has invested, as he did with Israel, to show favor and kindness and blessing, and then to just push that all aside and go on. What an offense to God. The real question is this. How bad is it to be the recipient of God's favor for years and then to spurn his grace? Now in verse 8, following, we'll see that sins of Israel turn to as they turn their backs on, backs on God's grace. Once again, there are stark and shocking reminders as we look at Israel of our nation today. But take heart. I love the pictures in Scripture. And as we close tonight, Israel, the unfaithful wife of Jehovah. 
Pictured as a vineyard that had all these things given and rejected it. Christian, let me encourage you tonight. Uh, yeah, we face sin. We can be tempted. But let me encourage you with the fact that the picture that we see here in Isaiah 5 is carried over into John chapter 15. And you'll remember there that as Jesus addresses his bride, here's what he says. The Father doesn't just have one vineyard, Israel, a vineyard that produced wild grapes. But when we get into John 15, the Father has another vineyard. And here's what Jesus taught. You can go over and look at it. He says, I am the vine. My Father is the husbandman. And he says, you all are the branches. Now, if we will just yield ourselves, abide in the vine. The scripture tells us that, that through that vine comes all the nourishment that we need. So that we don't have to bring forth bitter fruit. We can bring forth good grapes. Plentiful. Multiplied. And yet, if we don't yield to the Spirit of God, we're going to be like Israel. The fruit's going to look just like Israel. But the good news is, in Christ, in the vine, you and I can yield to him. And a while back, we preached through that passage. And what an encouragement that even branches that don't bring forth fruit like they need to... The imagery there, the teaching is that the Lord bends down and he picks up those, those branches and he cleans them up and he ties them back up so that they're out of the muck and the mire so that again they can bring forth fruit. That is God's perspective on us. And yet, if we're not going to abide in the vine, we become worthless branches again. And so my challenge to you tonight is to consider what God said to Israel. God's judgment on his worthless vineyard. And remember that through the work of Christ now, we are part of a new vine. An eternal vine where we can continue to bring forth fruit. But in your flesh, in my flesh, we're not going to be able to bring forth good things. But as we yield to the Spirit of God, we can bring forth fruit to His glory, fruit that remains. Aren't you glad tonight you're not the vine? I don't have to be the vine. Some Christians are wearing themselves out trying to be the vine. You and I are privileged to be the branches. Just abide and yield and let Him do His great refreshing work through you. Let's stand together. Father, thank you for the example of Israel. Lord, we're reminded that the fact that there's a nation of Israel today, that there was a nation through which you brought forth the Messiah, and that there will be a nation when Messiah comes back to the earth. Lord, we're reminded it's your work and you get all the glory. And then when we look at the church today, so many who are lukewarm, uh, those who profess to know you and yet their lives are bringing forth wild grapes. Father, again, we give you praise because you're building your church. 
But Lord, help us to do our part to walk with you and to abide in the vine. And Lord, we pray that when you come back, we'll be found ready. And that, Lord, you'd be pleased with our lives. Thank you for the time together tonight. Lord, please give safety to our church families. We head to our homes. Keep us healthy. Lord, help us to be fruitful for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.